Hey, welcome to the latest episode of Shit We Don't Talk About, the podcast that takes on topics that need more open and honest discussion, which means some of these topics are triggering, so please take care when listening, and I'll always give you a trigger warning. For instance, here's one. Every episode contains swear words. You've been warned. Make sure to check out the show notes, which include an accessibility transcript of the podcast and all of the links for our guests at shitwedonttalkaboutpodcast.com. It's episode 70, and my guest is Amy LaFountain. We're going to tackle the topic of friendship breakups. Strap in. Here we go. Hi, Amy. Hi. How are you? I'm great, thanks. How are you? I am great. I'm really excited to talk with you today. You found me because of another interview I did with Brianna Prooker. And so you talked, you had approached yeah. me about this really important topic of friendship breakups. Dive in because you've actually written articles about this. You're a journalist. You've had things to say. Yeah. So I wrote the piece based on my experience with friendship breakups, that were all long-term friendships, at least nine or 10 years, in one case, close to 25 years. And it's one of those things that I feel like there's no script for it. There's no really an established dialogue for it, the way there is for romantic relationships, like it's not you, it's me. There's no technical terminology for it. You know, we don't have friend divorce per se. And so I just thought that it's a much more common experience than you would think based on society and pop culture. And so I wrote about it in hopes that sharing what I've gleaned from my experience, both initiating friendship breakups and being on the receiving end, um, that hopefully will help others if they're finding themselves in that situation to navigate it a little bit better. It is definitely shit we don't talk about in mainly any of the topics that I broach on that, it's not because it doesn't occur. It's just, it happens so often, but we're not talking about it openly so that we yeah. can address it. And, and it just jogged my thought process when you said about friend divorce, because there's, there's so many things there's, you know, there's other friends that were involved. There are places that you went to, there's, you know, conversations, there's even yeah. the, the piece of confidentiality, because especially like you said, you have a friendship that was, 20 years. And I've had several of them too. I really, really have that, that I still grieve and, and mourn over, but you know, there's, there, there are things like, yeah, the confidentially, the confidentiality or things that you shared with those people. Like how do you, you don't want to stay in a relationship because you're afraid of that, but um, yeah, dive deeper on, on all the, all the messy little pieces and parts of this. Oh yeah. And it, it gets complicated. I think part of how long we stay in a relationship and a friendship once we see that there are issues can go back a lot to our style if we're confrontational or not and I'm guilty of that um I think like romantic relationships you start to get that inkling that there's trouble but you never want to end a friendship especially a long-term one too soon and then the signs sort of build you find yourself not enjoying yourself as much as you used to with that person or more issues than you used to have and you get to start thinking about it. But then, like you said, you've got all these issues that pop up that make you hesitant to end it, whether it's mutual friends or shared history or how that person might react. And you can hope for the best when you hope that 
your friends will handle it well, but you never really know. Um, but then it kind of, I think, gets to a point where we all only have this life to live and you can't associate with somebody just out of a sense of obligation that'll eat away at you. And so I think a lot of times, one way or another, you try to handle it the best way you can, but things have a way of coming to a head sooner or later, I think. I agree. Well, you brought up the YOLO for sure that he only live once. And yeah. I, I, and I, so let's still throw out different scenarios. So a lot of the yeah. times the hesitation could be, um, that you knew them through family. You went to college yeah. with them. You went to high school. Yeah. And, I th- and, and I think there's a lot of different iterations of how it comes up and it could be one, um, that you outgrew them. That's one, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if you're doing, uh, grown up, grown folks work, or if you're doing any kind of spiritual work, it's not that they necessarily changed. It's that you did. Yeah. That's a People big get into thing. different places in life. And mm-hmm. when you think about it also, I think that's natural as well. It's kind of bonkers to assume that any two people will go through every stage of life at the exact same time and in the exact same way. Mm-hmm. And I, but I, I do think that the obligation piece can be, can really hold people hostage. Oh, absolutely. Of, of absolutely. I've, I've known somebody for a long time. So let's definitely clarify that there's, there's no perfect way to do this, right? There's no hard absolutely. and fast. You just do what you can and you, you hope your intention comes across, uh, honestly and in the right spirit. And, you know, one thing I think about as an issue a lot as well is, you hope that even if two people are in different places in life and have a different attitude about the friendship, you hope that the person knows or trusts your intentions are good. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that is not always the case. <laughs> um, you know, I've had situations and I've heard of other people in this situation as well, where somebody who has known you, like I said, for decades, suddenly believes a certain depiction of you or sees you a certain way that you cannot fathom how they could see you that way, given how long they've known you. And unfortunately, crazy stuff like that comes up as well. It does. And, and I'm, we'll post a link to your article from, and, and this is such a timeless article. I know this was from 2019, but doesn't matter. It really does. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a timeless yeah. uh, piece to it. And I love how it's under, so this was in Yes Magazine, but I love how it's yeah. under the, under the uh, section of, uh, entitled under the empathy section, which I think yeah. is, is really important too. I think even since you wrote this, there's, there's been a rise in the idea and the concept of emotional intelligence that most of us were definitely not raised with. I mean, like, what does that mean? EQ, huh? And so I I love that it's becoming more popular because EQ really plays into this topic as well, too, of using your emotional intelligence to, to not ghost and yeah, in the age of friendship, ghosting you have here too. And that is, I would say that some advice that you give is that's, that's the one thing you, you don't want to do or unless it's not safe. Yeah. Right. Yes. That is always the caveat. If God forbid you feel unsafe confronting somebody or if they, somebody's become aggressive, uh, as my grandmother used to say, you don't need that. That would be the one caveat though. I think out of respect, even to what your friendship once was, you should at least try to make an effort to end things smoothly. Um, and one thing I found myself thinking about this and talking about this a lot recently as well, is I think there is a value to making an effort to end things gracefully, even if it's not well-received or 
or if a discussion doesn't even happen, I love that. Um, if it doesn't get met as we would hope, there's still a value in making that effort. So I would say that goes back to the point you made previously too about, you know, it's, it's hard to fathom that uh, your friend could could think that of you, right? So yeah. that that piece. So I would say that the the first part to start with is is letting go of expectation of outcome. You have to, yeah. You you get to a place where I think I think the best approach to have in mind is to think about what you want to say to this person and what you want this person to know. Of course, you can't control how they're going to respond to it, but I think- I hate that about life, by the way. Oh my goodness, yeah. (laughs) I hate that about life in general. (laughs) Oh yeah. I mean, I had, you know, I don't say this with any pride. It kind of hurts my heart to say it, but I had an issue with one friend where I had this moment of clarity and I realized that, and we had a guy, her- um, now husband, who kind of got in the middle of things. And long story short, it dawned on me one day that I realized that I tried very hard to make her not feel like she had to choose between me and her. But what I didn't realize was that she wanted to choose. And I think also a result of that is I can try to explain my feelings, my intentions, my hope for our friendship and where I'm coming from. But I can't control whether or not somebody believes me. And something that that was kind of talk about, like you said, very difficult to deal with and to process is I can give somebody an exhaustive explanation of a situation that I can't control whether or not they believe something about me that's not true. If somebody chooses to believe something, whether or not there's any truth to it. I think an interesting piece to that story, also you were you were mentioning bef- uh, previously before we started the interview, is that the the sign that you knew too is that she was calling you specifically when he was not around, and that exactly. that would be yeah. a big a big red flag as as well of of um, absolutely. It's I, a clear ranking, and the funny thing about that to me, talk about ranking is I don't understand why there's this competitive approach between people's partners or spouses and their friends, because I actually believe that those relationships can work in harmony with each other. I know there's this cliche thing that a lot of guys especially say like, oh, there's my competition with a woman's best friend. And not to mention there's a whole other discussion of when two people get married, there's a debate over whether or not to call that person their best friend. Because if you've married your best friend, then what does that make your former best friend? Sure. Um, Yeah, but I think that that's a great disservice to pit friends and partners against each other because they're totally different relationships with totally different intentions. I mean, I like I was saying to you before, I had a moment with one friend where, like you said, she only reached out to me when her boyfriend was hanging out with his friends. And sometimes when that works out timing-wise, that's fantastic. But I don't think you can only rely on somebody to be sort of your standby or your partner's understudy almost to be the only time you can see each other. And I said to her one day, you know, I shouldn't be in competition with your boyfriend. We want totally different things with 
out of each other, out of you. Like we just want to, I just want to hang out with you. I'm not, you know, trying to sleep with you. <laughs> I'm not so sleeping I'm not with you. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm not trying to date you. I'm just trying to go to lunch. Like I should not be seen as competition. And I also think, I don't think there's enough of a discussion of this either, to be honest, but I don't think it's healthy for any person to put all of their needs and hopes and expectations into one person, whether that's a friend or your spouse or your boss or anything. It just seems to me phenomenally unrealistic to expect any two people to be everything and on the same page for everything. Like one analogy I like to give sometimes is I used to say to one of my friends, like, oh, does he want to go get many petties together and go shopping? So why are you looking to get everything out of somebody who is not the exact same person as you? It's, it's <laughs> you know? so true. It's not sustainable. It, and it, it, it's, yeah. I mean, talk about or emotional realistic. intelligence. Mm-mm. No, yeah. because at and some so, point uh, somebody's going to disappoint. Exactly. And then you're sort of expecting somebody to be almost like a pet in a way to you instead of a partner. And I think that's a shame because when you take away that competition, a lot of beauty can happen. You free up things to be better in your romantic relationship because the person you have to channel whatever interests, vents, whatever you have. And so you can appreciate your time with your partner more, better quality. And then vice versa, if you have your partner that you go to for certain things and certain things to work out, you can enjoy yourself with your friends more. And then the real beauty as well, which when it works out is, I think there's all sorts of spouses of friends, um, but a really beautiful scenario that I have with some of my friends that I treasure is it's entirely possible for your friend's spouse to become a genuine friend of yours. I mean, and so you think to yourself, why would I want to be in competition with this person when clearly we have similar tastes in this person as a partner is one of my good friends. So why are we making this other competition instead of looking at what else you and I have in common? You know, it's just silly to me to pit those things against each other instead of looking at it as something that can enhance all of your relationships and hopefully give you a bonus friend, you know? Yeah. And that's why I wanted to have this conversation, a conversation, because I think what you're saying, it makes a lot of sense, but people don't think of it in that way. And I'm hoping you hear this and find some freedom in switching their mindset, because I think a lot of it is very subtle as well too, because society Mm -hmm. does kind of say that story. I love what you said about the the best friends piece. I've always loved the phrase of two things can be true at once. And I think mm-hmm. that is the healthy piece of that's your best friend with this relationship, but then you have this other person. One, yeah, you're not sleeping with them. I don't think. I mean, that's yeah. okay if you are too, but you know, have that conversation. Right. You know, so be honest. Just, <laughs> yeah, which is fine too. <laughs> right, right. I'm not judging. Just make sure everybody knows about it. Exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. It's just just not, advice. I, I am not disqualifying calling everyone their other kind of relationships. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But then that's also a piece. If we're gonna, if we'll throw that in there yeah. for a second, that is the honesty as well too. Is that everybody knows what they're they're dealing with. So, but I yeah. I think I think adding this, showing this freedom to people because we we do follow a lot of pretense and societal norms that we don't even 
realize, and, and I thought about this um, quick, funny story. It was, uh, I was in a, a wedding this summer and I haven't been in one in years. And I was, I was calling myself the bitty bridesmaid because everybody was about 10 to 15 years younger than me. And oh, I, wow. I, I, I loved the moniker of that, of myself, myself named <laughs> moniker, but, but what was you funny You said is- that well, because I refer to myself as a retired bridesmaid. So don't get me started. <laughs> yeah. That was a whole other podcast. I, it, I, I love that. Yeah. Stay tuned for that. And, and it was, and it was interesting to observe this now in my, in my fifties and this wonderful relationship that I've, I've been around for from the start because I've been friends with her longer oh, than wow. I have, uh, since she's been with him, but we jokingly, um, you came first I, as I, I, as I like I, to joke with one of my friends. <laughs> yeah. I was here first, first dibs. Right. Yeah. Uh, but what I, I said, it, I got an opportunity to, to give a toast. I wasn't the, the maid of honor, but I, I did, we, we did jokingly refer to when she first started dating him, she had come and I didn't mention this specifically, but she mm-hmm. had come from a, a rough relationship. And so when she started dating him, I, okay. I just kind of did the quietly pulled aside of like, you hurt, you break her heart. And I'll, oh, when I say it, I'll beat your ass. It was either that or something. It. Yeah. Or something. And so I did yes. tell that story of, um, and you know, Scott has, uh, it's now seven <laughs> years later, he has, he has risen to the task. And now, you know, I have always oh. adored him too, but said that in a way of letting them know the importance of, that, girl. The, of their friendship and then how he took it too. And I think that's yeah. a sign as well too, of, of how other people respond to the different relationships is your new friend seeming or is your, or is your old friend seeming like they are threatened by the uh, boyfriend yeah. is the boyfriend. I think these are, these are uh, red and green flags that you can look for in relationships Absolutely. and friendships of, Hey, you know, how was that other person reacting to them? And do you feel like you're in the middle and you're doing a dance? Oh, Absolutely. I mean, I think there's a lot of beauty there. Like you said, it shows respect that you have for your friend looking out for her and that he has for you and your friends. I had a great moment like that years ago with my friend Monet. Um, There was a guy I thought I clicked with and we were chatting all night and then he just absolutely ghosted the next day. Um, He just kind of said he wasn't looking to date anybody and then disappeared and my friend Monet, I will love her forever for this. She ran into him a few weeks later and she was like, hey, how you doing? What happened with my friend Amy? I noticed you disappeared and just completely called him out for it. And I will, I will always love her for that. <sighs> um, and I have had a couple moments where even to other friends, I have backed up some of my friends when I mm-hmm. think that the other one didn't treat them right. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think, to be honest, I think... It's not even ever as simple as the competition, too, because I think if you see me, somebody who's friends with your partner, as a problem, I think that also shows a certain amount of insecurity that, frankly, probably has nothing to do with me, mm-hmm. whether that's you feel like you're not a good enough partner or you, for whatever reason, can't get as close to your partner. Mm-hmm. I, I think that almost is somebody making the friend symbolic of some other issue that's there because Good point. when you really think about it it shouldn't be too hard to understand each other's perspectives when you have that mutual person in common so absolutely and I know we dove down the rabbit hole a little bit when it comes to friendships in relation to 
uh, relationships, but I think it's a huge piece. And I think it's really sneaky for a lot of people and they don't realize that they're running totally. interference on so many different ways. And then to touch back on another yeah. point you made that I love is about the, the vampire energy. And I think as people are yeah. starting to come into the age of getting to know what their personality type and, and the last podcast episode, we talked about attachment styles as well yeah. too. I think the more that we get to know what our personality types are. And if we know that we're an um, HSP, which I am, and I know that seems new agey, but highly sensitive person, it's kind of a more mm-hmm. definitive way of talking about being empathic because that you can be highly sensitive, but not necessarily, I think it, an empath, but if you are starting to yeah, feel that, on your own self, yeah. yes, but I, I would think a way to gauge it too, is like, if you're, if you're noticing dread or, or, draining Mm. feeling after you meet up with someone, right? Absolutely. Always pay attention to how you feel when you're with that person. And I think the pandemic raised the stakes and crystallized a lot of things for us and put things in perspective in terms of worst case scenario, God forbid I could get sick from meeting with this person. You want it to be worthwhile. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I've done a lot of reassessing of that in the past couple of years, um, good and bad. And it really makes you pay attention to how much is this person contributing to my life? Am I contributing to their life? And life is too short to put in a lot of time and effort into somebody if you don't feel good after you see them. That's not healthy. And chances are that'll probably manifest physically as well. I think so too. I think the stakes have gotten higher and no matter where you think that we stand as far as where we're at with the pandemic, I think keeping the the things that we've learned from that, which is like how important it is, how important time is. Um, before, yeah. Yes, obviously. And, friendship. when, and friendships. Yes. And so before yeah. we, we literally did gauge like, is this worth the risk? Uh, not knowing what the person is, I think keeping that mindset of is, is this worth the risk of, I could have been doing something else with my time. They could have been doing something else with their time as well too. So I think that's a really great point for everybody. A call to action would be to just assess how you feel after every interaction. Um, that's the, that's voluntary, I guess. I mean, I think, I think honestly, but certainly with voluntary, Oh, can I meet you out? Can I go to this networking event. I got to tell you, girl, I don't go to, I don't go to a lot nowadays. <laughs> it's it can be draining. Because it is. Yeah. It's, it is it's definitely pay attention. You know, I think there's a lot of parallels between friendships and romantic relationships in terms of how to navigate them. And I know people often say, if you're trying to determine if somebody is right for you, notice how they make you feel and how you feel around them. You know, do you feel like you can be yourself? Do you feel like you're happy? And of course, you're not going to be happy 24-7 but how does this person make you feel? And I think that is very important with friendships as well. A lot of my favorite people, um, a couple of them are, a few of them are recent friends as well. A few of my favorite people, two things that stand out to me is A, actually three things. One, I really enjoy myself around them. Two, I feel really safe and comfortable around them. And three, being friends with them makes me a better person. And I would certainly hope they feel the same way about me. But those are three of the most important things to me and three of the things that I've noticed in 
a few of my recent really really recent friendships who thankfully have also become a few of my closest friends so I love it really it's yeah because I don't want to sound super negative because of course if you don't feel good after you spend time with somebody that's something to pay attention to but the reason to look for that also is because there are friends out there who will make you feel like that too I mean which is a beautiful I mean I can't I do on forever about how wonderful that is too and you'll feel more yourself too that's what it comes back to. It really does. It's it's so, so juicy to to think about those kind of scenarios. And I, I think a, a couple of things. One, yeah, like I, I love that you brought up that these are our new friendships. Friendships start somewhere. Yeah. Right. So that doesn't mean yeah. that there's the less of a validity to them or, oh, you've only known this person for six months. But I think the oh my more goodness, they, yeah. Right. But I, I love the the idea of of boundaries especially is like, now you're going to know you're, you're even more equipped to vet that friendship. And if it starts to veer off a little bit, you can either really, instead of waiting years and years to, to figure out that something's not working, but I, I love that of how people make you feel. And then I think also from using these, these tests, it doesn't mean you're not going to deal with anyone at all who doesn't meet these. It's more about how much time are you going to spend with them? And I, I do this a lot with some folks of, of having either phone calls or zoom calls or, or any kind of interaction if I am feeling like it, it is, has a draining factor to it, I will set a time limit to it. Exactly. It's not a perfect world. We unfortunately cannot completely rule out people who don't make us feel a hundred percent per se. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, there's always going to be, like you said, whether it's mutual friends or parents, there's going to be those friendships where you can't, you know, have a dramatic ending and think you're never going to see the person again. There are, plenty of people who I'm no longer close to who I've seen multiple times since I decided to put distance with them. And of course I'm cordial and friendly. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a long discussion. It's hey, how are you? And then you move on, you know, because I'm a grown ass woman. Um and you just leave it at that. But you're right, it's limiting is important. And I think, mm-hmm. by the way, you just made me realize also as well, hopefully we learn from our experiences, we always improve. And I think the beauty is um I was listening to Anderson Cooper and Stephen Colbert talk about grief and they talked about how our pain helps us be more empathetic to other people. And I love that concept of one friendship or one experience can contribute to another. Because one thing I've noticed and which was the hope of my article is that through going through these difficult situations ending friendships, I hope that when somebody comes to me in a similar situation, I hope I can give them a few insights that might make the experience a little bit smoother for them, hopefully. So I love that idea of contributing to other people or hopefully my experience helping to make things a little easier. Not easy, but easier. Oh, I love that. And I, I think oh, I, I, I do like, so it's not just the siloed experience that one person has, but it could yeah. maybe soften the blow and then add to more emotional intelligence around you too. And that, that is such yeah. a great point that you can, um, we don't have to make it this big dramatic thing. We can just uh, scale back, let off the gas here, push on the gas here to another relationship that serves us better. So it's a work in progress and a flow because I think it's, yeah. especially for for uh, women, uh, for people who associate as women, um, that we we do tend to, I know for myself, 
until I did a lot of work, I, I had to really get mad about something in order to take action. And just think about all mm. that energy where I had to rev up into complete fury in order to take, yeah. to take action. And so I'd, I'd much rather prefer now to, to easily navigate, navigate through something without a lot of cortisol draining activity to yeah. get myself super mad of in order course. to make a change. And that's yeah, a human and thing. I think that, some people have a more. Oh, enough, totally. so I know I definitely hopefully, do. you know, we never get perfect, but hopefully we keep improving. And I think that goes back to also what you were saying about old friendships and new friendships. I think there's an assumption that old friendship is always better. And that's unfortunately not always the case. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I have, I have one friend as an example um, who I am closer to now than some of my friends who I've known for over a decade. Mm. Um, And I also think an important distinction to make that's kind of a nice silver lining that I keep in mind is no one person is replaceable. Every relationship and friendship is different. But a silver lining that I appreciate is kind of like what you said, we're all busy. And at the end of the day, we all only have so much time. And one thing I take a little bit of solace in is the friendships that were no longer working for me that I've put distance with have given me more time for newer friendships now to blossom and become closer and better friendships. So it's it's nice to have that opening. I love that. That is, that is a a great point to end on, which I love. And we'll have all the links for Amy's article and some other things you've written too in the show notes, but what a great distinction of like when when you do take the time and energy it takes to to really stop spending the time there, that really does just expand your world to be spending the time doing the shit you're supposed to be. The labor of love. (laughs) It is. Amy, thank (laughs) you so much. This is such a great conversation and it definitely is shit we don't talk about. Thank you. I appreciate you. Okay, one more, one final quick question. Do you have a favorite swear word or phrase that you like to say? Oh, oh my goodness. No, I threw that out of left field to you. I mean, fuck is a very good active verb and curse. Um, that. <laughs> oh man. It's so good. There's probably yeah. something British that I will think of as soon as we're done with this. And we will put that in the show notes, by the way. Yeah. Well, I like anything that yeah. has a C word when Brits say it, just to, just to put that out there, folks. Don't get everything's a little better with a British accent. <laughs> it is. <laughs> All right, Amy. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Thank you. Hey, thanks for tuning in. You can check out the show notes and guest links at shitwedonttalkaboutpodcast.com. If you like this episode, please subscribe and give it a like or leave a review, especially if it's a good one. See you next time. Bye.